At evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace be to you, and as the Father has sent me, I also send you. All exclaiming, Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. This strange and miraculous appearance of Jesus apparently was to demonstrate that resurrection bodies are not subject to the same limitations as our present bodies. Since we will be raised in the same manner as Jesus, this gives us some hint of the nature of our future body in the resurrection. After their desertion of Jesus on the day of his crucifixion, the disciples probably expected words of rebuke or blame. Instead, Jesus brought a word of peace. When he said, Peace to you, this was an assurance that there is no cause to fear and that all is well. Now let's join Pastor Rob. What a great title for a message, huh? One that everybody wants to come to, The Sin of Unbelief. (laughs) Yes, it is, you know. Um, But before we get into this morning's message, I just want to quickly review for you what this day signifies. We we call this Palm Sunday because it was a time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the only time actually that he was willing to be received as the king of the Jews, and he came in on uh, on a donkey. In fact, in Zechariah chapter 9, it says, Rejoice so greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem, for your king comes lowly and riding on the colt, the foal of a donkey. And he did this um, uh, fulfilling that scripture that had been given hundreds of years prior to that. And as Jesus would come into Jerusalem, you'll recall that the people would bring in palm fronds and they would put them on on the road as he was making his procession into Jerusalem and this day is the day in, in memorial where we commemorate that day today. And it's exactly a week, roughly. It may have actually happened on a Monday, but we'll leave that for later. Either Sunday or a Monday when this event occurred, this triumphal entry. And why was it so, so significant? Well, number one, it fulfilled scripture, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which I just quoted for you. But there was even another scripture that's even more significant And that is Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Because remember, Daniel's prophecy in verses 24 through 27 is really the pivotal um, backbone, if you will, of all end-time prophecy. 
And verse 25 of Daniel chapter 9 says, says this, that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem until the coming, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, which is a total of how many weeks? Seven plus 62? 69, right? 69 weeks, but it's weeks of years. So what that means is 173,880 days. That's literally what it means. So why was this day so significant? Well, there was a gentleman by the name of Sir Robert Anderson many, many years ago who uh, the Lord revealed this to him, and he did the math and did all of this, and, and it's, um, it's quite amazing, actually. It's one of those uh, prophecies that you'll never want to forget because we know that when Artaxerxes Longimanus, back when he was the king of the Medes and the Persians, after the Babylonian Empire had fallen to the Medes and the Persians, there were four different decrees that were given for the Jews to go back and not only to rebuild their temple, but also to rebuild the walls and, and those in the streets. And it was that one of the fourth decrees that Artaxerxes Longimanus made. In fact, he made that decree for the Jews to go back into Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls and do it even in troublous times, Daniel tells us. And we know exactly what that date was. It was March 14th, 445 BC. So from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem, from that time, whenever that is, you go forward 69 weeks of years, which is 173,880 days. And what day do you get? This very day. Meaning, the day when Jesus rode in on the donkey. The very same day, the exact same day, April 6, 32 AD. So from March 14, 445 BC, all the way to April 6, 32 AD, is 69 weeks of years, or 183,700. Uh, 183, uh, I messed it up again. A lot of numbers there. I said it right the first time. So uh, 183,780 days, something like that. I forget exactly. But anyway, from that moment to that moment. And so that was a very pinpointed prophecy of when Jesus would come in. And that's why that day was so significant. It was the only time that he would allow himself to be heralded as the king of Israel. The king of Jerusalem. The king of the Jews. The only time, and it was fulfillment of that prophecy that, would, that was given several hundreds of years prior. So a very significant prophecy. And so now, we, we, you know, as far as where we are in the Gospel of John, now this can be a little confusing because we're coming upon Holy Week, meaning uh, Good Friday is coming up, and then next Sunday morning is what we call Resurrection Sunday. And so today is Palm Sunday, but we're, we just happen to be in the Gospels toward the end of John when Jesus had already resurrected, and we're going to finish that 20th chapter of John's Gospel this morning. And so remember that Jesus had revealed himself on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday, he revealed himself to Mary Magdalene and a, a group of other women who also were there at the same time. And remember that she, uh, the angel of the two angels actually revealed themselves uh, as they were inside the tomb 
to Mary and the other women. And then finally, Jesus reveals himself in such a way where she didn't recognize who, she, who he was. Perhaps the tears in her eyes, perhaps the grief, we really don't know. But there was something different about Jesus' resurrection body that she didn't quite understand. that It's you, but is it you? There was a, there was a question mark. And so we'll look at that today. But um, so... Jesus rises from the grave and he reveals himself to these women. And notice what it says now in verse 19, because we went down through verse 18 last week. So we pick up, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace be to you, and as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them, and if you retain the sins of any, they are retained." Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days... His disciples were again inside, and now Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, notice that little detail, and Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be to you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And notice what it says in verse 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things, and here, remember, uh, put an asterisk by this verse if you haven't already. But it's this verse that is the theme verse of the entire Gospel of John. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That believing you might have life in his name. And see, that's the crux of the whole Gospel of John, is that we might believe that our faith might be encouraged and built up, rather than being eroded, that it would be built up. And that's why John cherry-picked, if you will, these specific miracles that really showed that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. And see, that is central to your understanding of who Jesus is. You must believe that he is who he says he is. And to not believe that is to live a life of unbelief because the Bible is replete with this statement, with this idea of Jesus being God come in human flesh. In fact, it is because of that that we have confidence and everything that he said and he did. And I pray that you all have that confidence in your heart, that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
Because if you don't, then you don't have any assurance of salvation because there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than Jesus Christ. There's no other name. No other name. But obviously one of the themes, as we read that remainder of the chapter, one of the obvious themes of the passage is unbelief. Unbelief. You know, when we look at unbelief, it is not only an affront to God's character, uh, but it's also, uh, it diminishes what God can do through our lives. It inhibits our growth, and also it is just flat and downright a lack of faith in God. But it's an affront to his character because when we walk in unbelief, we are showing that we really don't trust the Lord, that we really don't believe that he knows best and that he has everything under, under control. And see, when we only, you know, most of us, we want only the good things in life. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be comfortable and to have the good things in life. But um, but when God allows something different, some undesirable thing in our life, it tends to shake us because we begin to think, God, do you really love me? Do you really care about me? And, and the fact of the matter is he does. And he's working a far more greater weight of glory in your life by the trials and the things that he allows you to go through. That's how our faith grows. That's how my relationship with him grows because it grows by my trust and, and that he gives me. He gives me everything. He gives me every, even the faith to believe in him. But that faith has to be exercised like a muscle. And all of you know this, especially if you do any kind of work. You know, um, Any Olympic athlete knows that if you let those muscles on your body, uh, if you don't do anything with them, they atrophy and they begin to break down. But it's when you work on those things over and over, day by day, you, you, it's a consistent, consistent thing that those muscles build and they build and they get optimized for whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's the javelin or the shot put or the swimming, whatever. Your body gets optimized for whatever it is. And see, faith is like that. It's like a muscle for us. We have to exercise it and then we grow therein as a result of that. And so I want to encourage you as we go through this not to be discouraged by unbelief because we all at times have walked in unbelief. And hopefully um, we will grow out of that. And hopefully our life will be more marked by belief and faith in God rather than unbelief. Because when things go differently than what we desire, this is when our faith in, in God's goodness and his righteousness is really tested. But it's important that we learn to trust him in all things. And, and how we respond in faith to the difficulties in, uh, difficulties in our life um, will either make us bitter or it'll make us better, won't it? How we respond to it. If we think God is just angry, it's going to give us a very tarnished view on his character. But when we understand that even the difficult things, even the things that just grind us to powder, that those things are meant to draw us closer to him. And how we respond to that is, is, is everything. I can either get mad at God, and people do. They lose a spouse, they lose a family member, and instead of just, um, you know, certainly there's nothing wrong with grieving. We all grieve when bad things happen. But we also have to understand that God has allowed that for a reason. That person hopefully is in glory, but now you've got to get your faith, your eyes back on Jesus. 
Otherwise, you're just going to be a shipwreck. And God doesn't want you to be a shipwreck. But how I respond to those trials means everything. I can either get bitter about it, which many people do, or you can get better. You can trust in God and say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't even like it. But I know that you're working in me. You're you're, you're bringing me to this place of, of desperation. You're bringing me to this place of dependency upon you. And I'm either going to do that or I'm going to do something else. I'm going to have my dependency on alcohol and drugs and illicit relationships, or I'm going to get my face on the carpet and I'm going to seek his face. Seek his face, folks. When you're going through trials and tribulations, which is part and parcel for every believer, we're going to go through these things, but let's not be unbelieving, but be believing and trusting God even in that process of sanctification, which he is allowing. Why? To destroy us? No, it is for our good. He's refining you like silver in an oven. He's bringing all those impurities, all that unbelief right to the top, and then he's going to skim it off the top again, and you're probably going to have a respite for some time where you're like, oh, thank God that's over. But then you realize there's another trial that happens. And you find yourself in the furnace of affliction again and the heat rises and it brings forth all these things within you and your anger and your frustration. And then finally you say, God, forgive me. I'm angry at you again. And he's like, I know. I'm going to allow you to go through this, not because I'm trying to hurt you, but there's things that I can only accomplish and it has to be this way. Will you trust me in the process? Will you trust me, three lads, as you are in the oven and about ready to be thrown into the oven by Nebuchadnezzar? Will you trust me? Those men had already determined in their heart before Nebuchadnezzar threw them in the oven, whatever happens, we're not going to do it. We're not going to bow down to your image, O king. And if the Lord desires to uh, preserve us, great. If not, we perish. But this we will not do. They've already determined. Why? Because they had faith. And Almighty God. Old Testament. (laughs) Literally in the furnace of affliction. Right? And so God wants to encourage us. And he doesn't want to stunt our growth, but rather to encourage it. And one of the other things that unbelief does is it diminishes what God can do through our life. And it, it, it inhibits our growth. And unbelief is a lack of faith in God. Have you heard the phrase, seeing is believing? This is a phrase that I pray that we all remove from our vocabulary because it is not a godly phrase. But one of the messages of the Word of God is rather just the opposite. Not seeing is believing, but rather believing is seeing. Anybody can see and believe, but God says, no, you believe first and then you will see. But not so in our culture. We have to see everything. Prove it to me. Show me. You know, that's the Missouri motto. Did you know that, Missouri, the state of Missouri? It's the show-me state. And I'm sure it has nothing to do with faith. I don't know the origins of that phrase, but I'm using them because it it is what it is. Show me. See, that's natural man. Show me, and then I'll believe. But God says, no, you believe, and then it will be shown to you. And we bristle against that all the time, don't we? But what does the Bible tell us in Hebrews? Because believing is seeing, not seeing is believing. And the Bible tells us in 
in Hebrews by, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Do you understand that? Think about that. That's a wonderful phrase. Faith is the substance. You're hoping for it, and yet it's not tangible yet, but yet the evidence of things not yet seen. Now that's kind of a paradox, isn't it? Because when you have evidence, usually you're talking about physical evidence. It's right before you, but it says it's the faith, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. That means I don't see it yet, but it's as good as if I did because I believe it. And that is a mystery, folks. And I believe that is only something that God can give. And when you trust in the Lord and he gives you that faith, you don't need to see it because you know that it's going to come to pass. It may not even happen in your lifetime. Abraham believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness because God says, out of you, Abraham, out of your seed will come the Messiah. And your seed will be as the sand of the seashore, the stars in the heavens, so numerable you can't count them. And Abraham believed God and yet Abraham never saw the promise. But he believed in God It was the evidence that he had in his heart of things not yet seen. And boy, that is a a hard thing for people today because our culture, everything around us is encouraging us to see it first and then believe. And it goes right against the grain of what God tells us. He says, you need to believe and then you will see. But that doesn't mean that you have to check in your heart and your mind at the door. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Examine the evidence. There is so much evidence of the proof and the veracity of the Word of God. It is, there is so, I got books in my office that there's so many things that have been written that are, that, that, that are it's, it's stone cold truth. It would hold up in any court of law, and yet there are people going, well, I don't really believe. Well, that's your fault. You need to look at it. You need to look at the evidence. It is overwhelming. The evidence is overwhelming. It is overwhelming, folks. And God wants you to be believing, not unbelieving. He loves you. In fact, um, one of the verses in John chapter 7 is very similar. Verse 17, it says, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my authority, Jesus is speaking here. So knowing the doctrine or teaching doesn't mean that you will then be willing to do it. Rather, if you are willing to do and obey God, then you will know concerning the doctrine. Do you see how that works? It's totally backwards from what the world expects. No, show me the doctrine and then I will will to do it. But God says, no, be willing to do it and then I'll show you the doctrine. It's very similar to this idea of faith. Very similar. In John chapter 8, verse 47, He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, do not, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. The, you know, Jesus spoke to the, I believe it was the Pharisees in this, in this situation. So the idea is if you are of God, then you will hear God. He who is of God hears God's words. So believing is seeing, not the other way around. And before we continue in verse 19, last week we looked at verse 18, and there's a couple of things that I just want to quickly go through, but it, it, it gets into this topic of faith and believing 
there are two events that occur between verses 18 and 19. And the first one is the bribing of the soldiers. The bribing of the soldiers. And it occurs for us in Matthew 28, verses 11. Um, and, uh, and also, immediately after that, Jesus met with his disciples, two disciples, on the road to Emmaus. And that's where we're going to pick up in just a moment because that's going to lead us right into what we're talking about today. But notice uh, in, in, in verse 18 of John 20, notice what it said. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.